Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Fishers of Men. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary. And, and Lord, uh, we, we do this because you called us to do it. We're grateful, Lord, in Matthew 16, 18, that you promised you're gonna build your church. We're grateful that it's your church, not ours. And we're grateful for the promise that you're gonna build it. And so we just need to keep in step with you and be conduits of your love, mercy, wisdom, and grace. So please keep, continue to do what you do here in this place. Keep building your church. We pray that in the future you'll build your school across the street and it'll all be for the glory of your name. And Father, if there's anyone here today that hasn't started a relationship with Jesus, that today would be the day that they, dark, that they walk away from the darkness and into the light and the love of you. We know that you stand with arms open wide to anyone and everyone who will turn to you in repentance and faith. So we're grateful that you're a good, good father and you're full of mercy and that you've called us and are calling us into that relationship with you. Thank you, God. Lord, as we go through Mark chapter one, um, nine through 20 today, I pray that you'll help me to rightly divide the word of truth. And I'm asking God that um, you would feed the flock of God, the word of God today, and that well-nourished sheep would go out and naturally reproduce. So we commit this time to you. We commit the ordination at the end of the service to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? All right, well last week we looked at one of the most famous and one of the most unique figures in the entire Bible. And of course that was John the Baptist, who by the way, in the Old Testament, it prophesied that the messenger would come and prepare the way of the Lord. 400 years before John came, God said this through his prophet Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. God said, behold, I send my messenger, and he will, what's the next three words? Prepare the way before me. God's like, I'm gonna come to the earth. I'm gonna seek and save those who are lost. I'm gonna send my Messiah to Israel and to the world. But before that happens, I'm gonna send a messenger. And so in fulfillment of Malachi 3.1, and also we saw last week Isaiah 40, verse three, John the Baptist came, and he came to prepare Israel for their Messiah. How did he do this? He did this by preaching a message of repentance and then baptizing literally thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people, uh, as they came from Jerusalem and Judea and other areas. And they confessed their sins and he immersed them in the beautiful waters of the Jordan River. And so John was the messenger and Jesus was the Messiah. And now, where are we in the Bible? It's time for the Messiah to begin his public ministry. And so we're gonna pick it up in verse nine this morning. And it says that in those days, Jesus came. He came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. 
And so Jesus is 30 years old. We know that from Luke chapter one, right around 30 years old. And he's living up in Nazareth of Galilee. He's been a carpenter for years. He took over his dad's business. He's been living in obscurity. He's been living in just kind of like um, um, just uh, silently up there. And he knows now, God reveals it to his son, it's time to start your ministry. And so what does Jesus do? He packs his bag and he makes the trip, the 70-mile trip from Nazareth down to the Judean desert. John's gospel tells us that when John the Baptist looked up and saw Jesus coming toward him, John said to this to all the people around the Jordan River. He said, pointing at Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Aren't you glad Jesus has taken away your sins? Aren't you glad he's the Lamb of God and he cares for you? There he is, John says. Look, everybody, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he went on to say in verse 31, this is the purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And now Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus walks up to John and he says, I wanna be baptized. And John tried to stop that from happening, okay? John said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And so I want you to put yourself in John's sandals. He sees the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus the Messiah says, I wanna be baptized. And John is shocked. He knows that Jesus is that lamb without blemish and without spot. He knows that Jesus has never sinned. He knows that he is gonna be the savior of the world. And so John's attitude is, you're coming to me? No, I'm the sinner. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. And, and Jesus says, hey, John, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus wanted to be baptized because he knew it was the Father's will. So I want you to understand where we are. This is a big, big event. This is the baptism of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was at this huge event that the Father wanted to do something special for his son. And so John immerses the Lord in the Jordan. And it says now in verse 10, and when he, that's Jesus, came up out of the water, so it's just interesting that John didn't pour water on his head or sprinkle him, but he came up out of the water. He immersed him. It says, immediately, Jesus saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on. Everybody say on. On him. I'll talk about that later. Like a dove. So not an actual dove, but, but like a dove. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Why in the world was Jesus baptized? Here's why, because the father wanted to give his approval of his son and empower him with the spirit 
before his public ministry. And so can you see it? Can you picture it in your mind's eye? There's Jesus and he's standing dripping wet after being baptized. And there's the spirit coming down like a dove descending on or upon, E-P-I, him. And then there's the voice of the father saying, I love you, son. You're my beloved son and in you I'm well pleased. And so the father had been watching his son now for 30 years. The father looked down from his throne in heaven and saw Jesus when Jesus was baptized, of the, um, I'm sorry, born uh, from the Virgin Mary. He looked down and he saw Jesus as he began to grow up in his stepdad Joseph's home and his mom Mary. He, he, he watched Jesus, one, two, three years old, four year old, five years old. He watched as, as Mary had other children. The Bible says that Jesus had brothers named um, uh, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, not the one who would betray him later, another Judas, and he had sisters as well. And so the Father in heaven's looking down and he sees how Jesus, the big brother, interacts with his siblings. By the way, can you imagine if Jesus was your big brother? What would that be like? That had to have been hard for James and Joseph and the others. I mean, I can see James getting in trouble once again, and, and Joseph is there scolding his son, and James looks at his, his dad, Joseph, and, and says, well, pointing at Jesus, what about him? He never gets in trouble, <laughs> right? And I can see Joseph gathering up the whole family and saying, kids, you gotta understand, he never does anything wrong, okay? And th that was Jesus, and the father saw that. The father saw how he interacted with his brothers and sisters. The father saw him grow up and eventually take over his dad's carpentry business. Listen to this. The father saw how Jesus, the carpenter, treated his customers with respect and with honesty and integrity. If you're a business owner or you're in the, in, in the business field, um, you need to treat people with honesty and integrity. You need to make sure that your dealings at work are above reproach, why? Because you're a Christian and you're following the Lord. And so the father saw that about his son. The father saw the way he loved his friends. The father saw the way Jesus for 30 years every single Saturday sat in the synagogue and listened to the rabbi. The father saw that. The father saw the way Jesus would pour over the Torah and the way he prayed in the hills of Galilee. Here's my point. The Father saw Jesus' perfect life. And here's what you need to know today, Christian. He lived that life for you. You see, the gospel is not just the death of Christ. The gospel includes the life of Christ, and it's a life of perfection. Why? Because he lived the life you could never live, and I could never live. And then he died the death that you and I should have died. Why? Here's why, because if you will turn, the best way you know how, from your sins and receive Christ by faith, here's what he will do. He will, according to Romans, impute his perfect life, impute his righteousness to you. And he will clothe you in the righteousness of Christ so that when the Father looks down on me and you, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the perfect life of the Savior. That's the good news of the gospel. Hey, we should all be clapping and thanking God for that. That's your position in Christ. 
Hey, now, should your practice match your position? Yeah, of course it should. But you need to know when the Father sees you positionally, he doesn't see your life and your mistakes and your sins or my life and my mistakes and my sins. He sees the life, the perfection of Jesus. And so there's the Father and he's looking down from heaven on his son as his son is coming up out of the water and he says, son, I'm so pleased with you. I love you. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Quick side note, dads, your kids need your affirmation. Your kids need to hear I love you every once in a while. Dads, your kids need to hear I'm proud of you. They need to hear it when they're little kids for their emotional development. They need to hear it after they're adults and and grown up. Why, Here's, here's what you need to know, dads. I'm talking to the dads this morning. Your kids will never tell you, but they long for your approval. They need to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you. Again, they'll never tell you that, but you need to know that they need to hear it. And dads, some of you are, have become estranged from your kids for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. You guys need to pick up the phone this week and say, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm proud of you. And just start that once again. See what God does. And if you're here this morning and you feel like, I could never do that, I've blown it too bad, just know that if you'll do that and leave it in God's hands, you could begin that relationship once again with your son or daughter. And so why was Jesus baptized? Because the father wanted to give his approval of his son and he wanted to empower him with the spirit before his public ministry. Okay, and so the spirit descends upon, say the word upon, upon the son. Okay, so why would that happen? Here's why. Paul said in Philippians 2, 6, and 7 that though Jesus was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Was Jesus God, yes or no? Help me out. Yes, Yes, but he was also a man. And so he needed the Holy Spirit not just to live inside of him. He needed the Holy Spirit to come upon him, E-P-I in the Greek. And so was the Holy Spirit already inside of Jesus at his baptism? Of course. Well, why did he come down upon him? Because Jesus needed to be empowered for his public ministry and because Jesus needed the power of God to face the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. What is Jesus doing? He's a man and so he's given us the example. He's saying to you and me, hey, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit before you start going out and ministering to people and you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit so that you have a supernatural power to overcome the temptations and the attacks of the enemy. And so I'm gonna do it one more time, three times in a row, three weeks in a row. If you don't know about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, you got to get the book by R.A. Torrey called The Baptism with the Holy Spirit. We had a few copies last night. I think they're gone. You can go on amazon.com or CBD. It's 80 pages, but learn about that. And by the way, it's not just a one-time event because Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And when that happens to you and that happens to me, he empowers us for ministry. He empowers us to be a witness and he empowers us to meet the temptations of the enemy when the enemy comes swinging at us. Does this make sense to you guys? Hey, let's be open to the Holy Spirit in this church. And so at the Jordan, we see the sun dripping, the Father affirming, the Spirit descending. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity, one God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's his baptism. And now let's move on to the temptation now of Jesus in verse 12. It says that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was with, uh, he was in the wilderness, check this out, for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Ouch. You know, don't, don't just read the Bible and keep reading. Stop there and just think about what that must have been like. He's in the wilderness. Matthew and Luke said he's fasting. He hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. The whole time, according to the Greek in which Mark writes, he's being attacked. He's being tempted by Satan. Not just at the end with three specific temptations, but all through he's being attacked. He's being tempted by Satan. Howling wind at night, cold temperatures burning up during the day. There's Jesus, and it says he's with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And so after the mountaintop experience of his baptism, here's what you need to know. The Spirit drove him into the difficulty of the desert. And so at his baptism, you know, Jesus, is, it's, a, it's a mountaintop. Jesus experiences the refreshing, cool water of the Jordan, but now he's in the desert, and he's being baked by the, the heat of the sun. At his baptism, no doubt he had plenty of food to eat, but now in the desert, he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. At his baptism, he hears the voice of the Father, but now in the desert, he hears another voice, the voice of Satan. And so Jesus went from a mountaintop spiritual experience, I mean, how much higher of a mountaintop spiritual experience can you have than the, the sky rendering, the spirit coming down and the Father affirming you? And so Jesus goes from a mountaintop spiritual experience and he's driven into the difficulty of the desert. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I know and I wanna prepare you for it. That oftentimes after your mountaintop spiritual experience, put your seatbelt on because God's gonna drive you into the difficulty of the desert. And if you're not ready for that, you're gonna pout and you're gonna cry and you're gonna say, where's God and why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Well, God is where he's always been, on his throne, and he's molding you and he's making you into the image of Jesus and sometimes difficulty is the only way that he can do that. And so when he drives you into the difficulty of the desert, it's okay, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus can relate. Okay, so why did Jesus go into the wilderness? The author of Hebrews tells us this. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, please say every respect, has been tempted as we are. The Spirit drove Jesus into the desert 
so he could be tempted just like we're tempted. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness so that he could feel weakness just like we feel weakness, mentally, physically, emotionally. And so the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, why? So he could sympathize with you and me when we're going through our own difficult time. And so if you're going through a difficult time this morning, here's what you need to know. Jesus has been there, done that, he's got the T-shirt. And he can help you. And so don't do this the next time difficulty comes. Don't fold your arms. Don't listen to the voice of Satan in the wilderness. Don't say, why God? Listen, our brains are this big. God is the omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal sovereign. God, he knows what he's doing. So don't cop an attitude and say, why God? And pout in the difficulty of the desert. You don't see Jesus doing that in any of the gospels, but instead he entrusts himself to the Father and he faces the temptations of the enemy in the right way. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Matthew and Luke give us details about how Jesus overcame the enemy and we learn this principle. This is Christianity 101, it'll help you. Jesus used God's word to overcome the enemy. Now, you gotta get this, if you're ever gonna expect to make it all the way through to your dying breath as a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys believe there's a devil? How many of you guys know that there's spiritual warfare in Christian life? Okay, and so I really wanna help you today to know what to do during those times of the difficulty of the desert. And so Matthew and Luke fill in the blanks that Mark leaves out, but Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Satan knew he was hungry. And so Satan walks up to Jesus. Now that's something else. You're hungry, you're weak. You've been out there by yourself for 40 days, you're lonely. And here comes the devil. And the devil looks down and points at a stone and says, this, and I quote, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Okay, so what do you call that? You call that the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Jesus, use your own power selfishly to satisfy your physical appetite. The father had called him to fast. Satan, another voice, is saying, who cares, you know, you're hungry. Satisfy yourself. And so how did Jesus overcome the temptation of the lust of the flesh? Everybody look at me. By using the word of God. He said, he looked him right in the eye, and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so that didn't work, so Satan says, I'm gonna try a different temptation. And he takes Jesus to a high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, it's all yours, Jesus. All you gotta do is take a knee. What do you call that? It's the temptation of the lust of the eyes. Look at all that material wealth. Man, that can all be mine. All I gotta do is just kneel down before Lucifer. Anybody think Jesus was gonna kneel down before Lucifer? <laughs> okay, so how did Jesus respond 
to the temptation of the lust of the eyes with God's word. He said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Now, how many of you guys understand that Satan doesn't quit easily? He just keeps coming. And so he takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple. He says, throw yourselves down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and they will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against the stone. Okay, that's the temptation of the pride of life. Jesus, just jump off, because here's what you know. When you jump off, the angels are gonna come swooping in, and they're gonna bear you up, and the thousands of people on the court of the Gentiles are gonna look, and they're gonna laud you and praise you. The temptation of the pride of life. And so how did Jesus respond to that? Again, he used the word of God. He says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. And then it says, the devil left him. How many of you guys want the devil to leave you alone? I do. Sometimes I get weary in spiritual warfare because it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And you see it coming and coming and coming to people that you love and people that you know. Okay, if you want the, the, the devil to leave you alone, listen to James 4, 17. If you're with me, say amen here. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you, period. Did you hear the promise of God right there? Submit to God. Every area of your life, submit it to the authority of Jesus Christ. The things that you wanna do, and God said, no, don't do it. And things you don't wanna do, and God says, do. You gotta do it. You gotta submit to God and then resist the devil, and the promise of God is he will flee from you. Okay, how do you resist the devil? Everybody look at me. With God's word. Every single time Satan came at Jesus, Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. He used the Bible. And every single time, he quoted from Deuteronomy. That tells me that in the desert, Jesus had been meditating on the book of Deuteronomy. He had a storehouse of truth, and so when he was attacked by the enemy, verses came up in his mind, and he said those verses out loud in order to do battle with a spiritual enemy. What is he doing? He's a man, he's leaving an example for you and I in our difficulty of the desert. And the question I have for you is, do you have a storehouse of truth built up in your heart, a storehouse of God's promises, a storehouse of God's word, so that when you're out in the difficulty of the desert and you're attacked and you're tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, are you able to bring a verse up into your mind, meditate on that, and speak it out loud and do battle with the enemy? He's not afraid of you, but he's afraid of this book because this book is God's power and he cannot stand against it. John wrote this in 1 John 2, 14. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have, what's the one word right there? Please say overcome. You've overcome the wicked one. I don't care if you're a young man or a young woman, an old man or an old woman, that's not the point. The point is if the word of God abides in you, 
If the word of God is not something you blow the dust off once a month to go to church, but the word of God is something that you're meditating in day and night, and it's building up a storehouse of truth inside of you, if that abides in you, Here's what's gonna happen. You're going to overcome the wicked one. You're gonna survive the difficulty of the desert. You're gonna become a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ and you're gonna take your last breath not having been perfect but being ready to meet the Lord. That's God's word, that's God's promise. But if you have not been in this book, ladies and gentlemen, there's no power for you to fight the enemy and he's gonna hang around longer than you want him to hang around and you might get the snot beat out of you. What's the application? Get into God's word day and night. Make time in your schedule morning and night. Pour over his word, get it into your heart and you watch what God does. And so we're done with the baptism, we're done with the wilderness experience, and now in verse 14, Jesus begins his ministry. It says in verse 14 that after John was arrested, and we're gonna get details on that in chapter six, so we'll save that for later. But after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So he's now going back up into Galilee. And what's he doing up in Galilee? At the end of verse 14, he's proclaiming the gospel of God. He's been empowered by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has helped him overcome the temptation of the enemy. Now the Holy Spirit has come upon him and empowered him to proclaim the gospel of God. And where's he doing it? In Galilee. Why Galilee? Because 700 years before Christ, Isaiah the prophet uh, said this. We're gonna look now at Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. And so in Isaiah chapter nine, uh, verse one and two, it says, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, look at this, Galilee of the nations. That was written 700 years before Christ came. Isn't God's word amazing? Galilee of the nations. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And you say, well, how do you know that's, talking about the coming Messiah. Okay, look at Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. When you go down four more verses to Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this is saying when Messiah comes, he will minister in Galilee, and guess what? Messiah came, and where did he minister? He based his ministry in Galilee. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. Now in Jesus' day, Galilee was a well-populated area. It was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so remember the New Testament map, please look at me. In Judea, mostly Jews. Samaria, Jews intermarrying with um, Assyrians from the Assyrian captivity. Go up to Galilee, now you got Roman, Greeks, and Jews, and they're all, they're living together in the region of Galilee. Of course, the Jews are living separately because Jews are not allowed to intermarry with Gentiles. And so Galilee had a lot of people in Jesus' day. The first century historian Josephus said that Galilee had 204 towns, and each town had at least 15,000 people. If you do the math, that's over three million people up there while Jesus is ministering, proclaiming the gospel of God. What a beautiful place to start your ministry. 
And so Galilee had a lot of fish, fishermen, a lot of farmers. Um, there were the country folk. And so the sophisticated, educated people in Jerusalem would often make fun of and ridicule the hicks up in the hills of Galilee. But that's where Jesus grew up and that's the place that he loved and that's the place where he preached. And so what did he preach? Look at verse 15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is, what's the next two words? At hand. Everybody put your hand out like that. Don't hit your neighbor in the head. Okay, so that's how close the kingdom was. That's pretty close, right? How can the kingdom be that so, so close? Because the king was that close to them. He was there standing. And he says, repent. Please say the word repent. repent. And believe, say believe. believe, in the gospel. And so humanity is sick <laughs> Our world is so sick. Have you guys watched the news? It's depressing. And things are not getting better and better and better. I cannot, cannot lie to you. I can't get up here and rah, rah, rah and say everything's gonna get better and the church is gonna bring in the kingdom age and, and we're gonna take over the world and everything's gonna be awesome because that's not what the Bible teaches. Things are getting worse and worse. And, and our, 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 our world is sick with the disease of sin. But the good news is that the great physician has come and he's given a great prescription. He says, repent and believe the gospel. And what you need to know is that, man, Jesus has done his part. Man, I'm up to here with people complaining and murmuring against God. You know, where's God? I'm having a hard time. He doesn't love me. Well, newsflash, God has done his part. What more can he do? God came from heaven to earth. He entered time and space through a virgin's womb. He lived a perfect life. He allowed sinners to spit in his face, to beat him up, to open his back up and nail him to a cross. He took your sin and my sin into his body on the tree. He suffered hell so you and I would never have to suffer hell. He died so we wouldn't have to die and go to hell. He was buried. He rose three days later. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And if that was not enough, when Jesus went up, he sent his spirit down to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he sent the spirit down to the church to empower us and indwell us and instruct us and love us and guide us. What more could God do? What more can he do? He's done everything he can do. He's done his part. So what's our part? Repent. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Stop being a casual Christian. Stop going to church once a month. Stop going to church. Be the church. Get serious about your walk with the Lord. Be a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. What does it mean to repent? It means to change one's mind for the better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. 
Please do spiritual inventory right now between you and the Holy Spirit who's in this room. Have you really changed your mind for the better concerning Jesus Christ? Or are you just going to church to check, I want church? Have you really changed your mind in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And have you come to a place where you abhor your past sins? If you're still living in the same lifestyle of sin, then you're not abhorring your sin. And so don't blame God when the bottom falls out. Are you guys with me this morning? The bottom's falling out, Pastor Mike, I don't know what's wrong, where's God? Well, do you abhor your past sins? Have you turned from them or are you still living in that lifestyle? If you're still living in that lifestyle, it's no wonder God's doing whatever it takes to get your attention. And God will bring you all the way down as low as you can go so the only way to look is up. So you can expect if you continue to live in, in, in the same lifestyle of sin for things to get worse and worse. Why? God loves you. He doesn't want the sin to destroy your life. And some of you are making good what God has made bad in your loved one's life. They're living in open rebellion against God and you keep bailing them out with money. You keep bailing them out with giving them a room to stay in. You keep bailing them out and God's, God's saying, why are you obstructing with my work in their life? You need to let go and let God let me do that work in their life. Let God do his work. And so repent means to change your mind for the better, hardly to amend one uh, with abhorrence of one's past sins. If you, if you don't abhor your past sins, you haven't really repented, who are you fooling? And you gotta believe. What does the word believe mean? It means to be persuaded of, place confidence in. Are you persuaded that Jesus is God's eternal son? Are you persuaded that he died and paid for your sins on the cross? Are you persuaded that he rose again the third day? Have you put your confidence in him and him alone to, be, to forgive your sins and to be, become his child? If you haven't, then you haven't really believed. And so the question is, have you truly repented? You see, Satan's got humanity by the throat, ladies and gentlemen, and he's squeezing. But here's the good news. That's the bad news. He's squeezing. But the good news is this that if that person that's being squeezed will turn to Christ in repentance and faith, then Jesus in response goes and puts his hand on the wrist of Satan and he squeezes and he says, let him go. Let her go. And Satan at that point, because that hurts, has no choice but to release the repentant sinner. But if you're still living the same lifestyle of sin, it's no wonder he's got a death grip on you. It's the same message for 2,000 years. Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've done his baptism and his temptation and he started his ministry. And now at the end of this message, please stay with me to the end here, he's gonna call his first four disciples now, before I read verse 16, uh, please understand that John 1 tells us that Peter and Andrew already got to know Jesus, okay? So Jesus is not a stranger right here. All right, so look at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, 
He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become, what's the next three words? Fishers of men. I love that. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, not a stranger, they, they know Jesus. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. That means it's a very successful fishing business, by the way. And they left it all, and they followed him. And so Jesus is up in Galilee. He's preaching and proclaiming the gospel of God. He makes it to the Sea of Galilee, one of my favorite places on the, on the planet. And so the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. It's seven or eight miles wide. It's 13 miles long. It's 60 to 180 feet deep. That, that Sea of Galilee is deep. <laughs> and it, by the way, is about 700 feet below sea level, making it, I don't know if you knew this, the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth. Now, if you go with us to Israel, we're gonna stay in, on, on the Sea of Galilee. We'll be in a kibbutz right there. You'll wake up in the morning, you'll open your door, and that's what you'll see. And I just wanna show you some few pictures before we move on. Um, there's my wife and I on the Sea of Galilee. And um, I don't know what boat that is. That's not Jesus' boat back there. That's <laughs> some other kind of boat. Um, and then I'll take you to a restaurant on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, um, and our whole group got to eat fish that were looking at us. My wife was really hungry because she tore that thing up. <laughs> and then here's part of our group there, uh, not walking on water, but just standing on the shoreline there uh, on the Sea of Galilee. We'd love for you to come. We're gonna go again in 16 months, May of 2019, so you got some time to save, but you can email Matt Messiano if you wanna come with us. And so as we're winding down here, listen to this. Jesus grew up just 18 miles. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, 18 miles from the Sea of Galilee. And so he knows this lake. 30 years, he's walked around it probably hundreds of times. But now when he's walking, man, he's got a, a, a spring and a step. Why? Because he's about to recruit four of his apostles. Jesus is excited the men that he's about to turn the ministry over to, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're there, they're casting out the nets. And what does Jesus say to these guys? He says, follow me, give up your career, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Now for most of you, God's calling you to stay right inside of your career. He's got you where he wants you because you're a light in a dark place. And all y'all, sorry for the bad English, all y'all and me, we're all called to be fishers of men, which means we gotta have relationships, by the way, with lost people. If all, if all your friends are Christians, you can never be a fisher of people. So get to, know, get to know some lost people, man. Let your light shine in front of them. Let them see your life, and then the Lord will show you when it's time to talk. You don't have to speak right away. You just live and get to know them, be their friend, and eventually share the gospel with them. That's great, that's being a fisher of people. And so everybody's called to do that, but some people, like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are called to full-time vocational ministry. They're called to leave their career and follow the Lord. I think it's very interesting that Jesus didn't go to the rabbinical schools of Jerusalem for his disciples. He goes up to the country 
the Sea of Galilee, and he picks common fishermen that had already started their careers. So here's my exhortation. If you're a young man here this morning and you feel called to full-time vocational ministry, go to Bible college. We got some great ones we can recommend to you. Go to seminary, get trained up, and then follow the Lord that way. But, but older men here this morning, what you need to know is the call is not always for teenagers and men in their 20s. You may be an older man and you may have already started your career and Jesus might walk up to you and say, follow me and I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. And he expects you when he says that to leave your career and to pursue him in ministry. That's exactly what's happening here in our Bibles for these four men. And so man, these guys were knowledgeable as fishermen, right? They had to have qualities. What kind of qualities? Knowledge of when to fish and when not to fish, that's obvious. They had to have skill of how to create a net, cast a net, mend a net, other skills that go along with being a fisherman. They had to have patience, right? Because you throw the net, nothing's there. Oh, let's throw it again. Oh, still empty. Oh, throw it again. And they had to have a, a willingness to work hard. Here's what the call of the ministry is. You gotta have a knowledge of the scriptures. You gotta have skill in reaching people, pastoring and counseling people. You gotta have patience because people are slow to change. And man, you gotta be willing to work hard in the ministry. I'm so, so, I laugh so much sometimes when people think I just golf all week and I, I study for two hours on Saturday and I show up on Sunday. No, ladies and gentlemen, I work by God's grace really hard every single week. Why? Because that's my calling. That's my calling. And so I'm so glad that these men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, said yes to Jesus' call. And we're so happy today that we have a kind of a young man getting to be a little older, guy in our church who has said yes to Jesus' call as well. And so Matt Missiano is gonna be ordained this afternoon. Matt's got qualities of knowledge and skill and patience and a strong work ethic. He also, by the way, and the Board of Elders approved Matt uh, to become a pastor here, but we've been watching him carefully for over four years. We take this very seriously. And so he passes the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter one. If you don't know Matt, go back three weeks, watch, watch or listen to Reckless. He gives his whole life story. It's so cool how the Lord worked that out. He preached and now we're ordaining him. So most of you guys know him. Some of you don't. Welcome up Matt Messiano. Come on up, Matt. Awesome, brother. So I asked Matt to just share a few words uh, for those of you who don't know him, and then I'm gonna call the pastors and elders up. Matt. Thank you, Pastor Mike. I'm super humbled to uh, just be able to be here today and to be a part of uh, this team. I'm super humbled that the Lord is doing this work in my life. As Pastor Mike shared, uh, I shared my testimony a few weeks ago. So if you weren't here, just a quick summary. Um, I grew up in Florida. Um, at one point, I gave my life to Jesus. I fell to the cares of the world. I turned my back on the Lord, uh, found myself deploying to Iraq for two tours. I, I got out of the army, battled some addictions, and then God really reached down and 
he got a hold of me. And uh, so I'm really humbled for everything that the Lord is doing in my life. I'm super grateful to be a part of the team here the leadership, the pastors that have poured into me, uh, Pastor Mike and Stacy for a Priscilla and Aquila role in my life, um, just spending time um, to mentor and disciple me, Pastor Bob, Lee, Jacob, uh, Pastor Will, um, just pouring into me, spending time with me. And so also super grateful for all of you, the opportunity just to love you guys and serve you guys. Um, just incredible opportunity that I will not take lightly, honored that the Lord finds me worthy. And uh, you know, I know this, it requires time in God's presence, and all of us must spend time in God's presence. And so when we get into God's presence, God does amazing things in our lives. And I know that doesn't mean um, always the easy side. There's going to be difficulty. And uh, looking back at my story, the difficulty that God carried me through, I know this, that it's because of God. And so that same power that he wants to give and equip all of you, myself, it is a requirement on our part to get into his presence. So if I can encourage you, just spend time with the Lord daily and let him take over and invade your heart. And, and I also wanna say to John and uh, Pastor Will, um, the two of them have uh, spent a lot of time with me, been very patient, loving me, and so I'm super grateful uh, for that and for their involvement in my life as well. So I love you guys. I'm excited to um, lead in missions and prayerfully uh, you will join us on a trip to Haiti or Israel. So thank you all very much. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. All right. So we're gonna call our pastors and elders to come up at this time. Um, Matt, you can stand right here. Do you know if Pastor Eve's made it? Okay. Come on up, guys. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna lay hands on Matt, but before we do that and pray, uh, so here's the order. Pastor Will has some words from pastor to pastor, and he's gonna charge Matt, and then after that, I'm gonna ask Travers Jacobs uh, to take the phone and pray over Matt as we ordain him to ministry, and then Pastor Lee, our executive pastor, is gonna um, um, honor Matt with the ordination certificate. So Pastor Will. Yeah, so on a personal note, um, first of all, um, I just wanna say that it's been an absolute joy to watch you go from a prodigal to pastor. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, I've known Matt since day one of him being a part of Calvary when he showed up sweaty and out of his mind, uh, looking, looking for help, uh, looking for hope, and um, he found it in Jesus. And um, it's just been really cool watching you know, your journey and uh, I just wanted to tell you publicly that I love you, you're my best friend, and um, I'm thankful for our, uh, our, our partnership in the gospel ministry. Um, now, as far as this ordination ceremony goes, um, one thing that I, I wanna make clear to, to you and everyone is that um, outside of, of God calling a man to ministry, you know, the, the ordination ceremony means nothing. There, there has to be that call on a man's life. In fact, I believe that it's God who ordains and it's man who um, just confirms it publicly. And so that's what we're, we're here to do today is to let you know that we see you, um, we believe in you, uh, we confirm your call and we're um, excited to be able to publicly call you pastor today. And so with that, what I'd like to do is just um, encourage you with the same words that Paul used to encourage pastors in his day. And I wanna start off with Paul's encouragement to pastors um, concerning their uh, 
fatherhood, um, and also um, you know being husbands. Um, when it comes to being a pastor, I, I, w- I want to encourage you to be a dad first. Um, Matt has a beautiful daughter named Lizzie, and um, you're doing a great job with her. Uh, but I want to encourage you as you get involved in ministry, um, don't don't leave her in the back seat. She's your priority. Um, pour into her, train her up in the way she should go, all right? And then when it comes to um, the whole husband thing, um, well, Matt's single. <laughs> and, and the thing is, 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 you know, you don't have to be married to be a pastor. That's not Paul's encouragement. His encouragement is when you do actually find a wife, which we've been praying for for six years. <laughs> Um, but when you do find a wife, man, same thing. You know, you're a husband before you're a pastor. So be devoted to her. Um, and I'll just go through these others real quick. Um, I wanna encourage you to be a faithful steward. I wanna encourage you to stay humble and not get arrogant. I wanna encourage you to be gentle, not quick-tempered. I wanna encourage you to uh, avoid alcohol. Stay sober, brother. If, if, if we're gonna get drunk, let's get drunk on the Holy Spirit, Okay. Yeah. I wanna encourage you to be peaceful, not violent. Uh, To have financial integrity and not get greedy for money. I wanna encourage you to be hospitable, to be a lover of good, to be self-controlled. I wanna encourage you to be upright in everything that you do, to be holy because God says, uh, because God is holy. I wanna encourage you to be, uh, just always work on on the gift of teaching that you do have, which we saw that, very, very obviously the last, I don't know, what is it, three weeks ago. Keep working on that gift. Um, keep striving for spiritually, uh, to be spiritually mature because you haven't arrived. None of us have arrived. Keep working on that. Be respectable and then finally, um, keep up the good work in, in being an example to the flock. You've, you've been a great example, um, but what I'll tell you is this, is that Satan would love to attack your example and, 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 and to... Uh, cause you to stumble and to lose your witness. But man, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, don't let that happen. Mm-hmm. Keep your example going for the flock. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that it's not, it's not because of you. It's not anything that you can do apart from him. In fact, the scripture says, it's not by our power or our might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So keep leaning into the spirit. Uh, we love you and we're so proud of you. Dear church family, it's my privilege to pray over Matt today. So a good friend of ours, Matt. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to just lift Matt before you today. We thank you so much for blessing us with him. Father, we thank you for leading him to Calvary here to serve your people, Lord. And he's been so humble. Um, Lord, I thank you for what you've done in his life, Lord, that as he walks above reproach, Lord, that people cannot deny the work that you've done in him, Lord. Um, not just words coming out of his mouth, but just his life example, Lord, that is more powerful than words, Lord. And I pray, Father, just that you will, as Will has spoken, give him the right priorities in his life, Lord, you first in everything, Father. Not ministry first, but you first. Father, that that will remain his front and center, and through that connection with you, Lord, that he can be filled to overflowing, that he can continually pour out um, to your body, um, to this flock, Lord, 
Father, that the words that you give him, Lord, you'll touch his mouth, that it'll be your words only, Lord, and not his opinion, that he'll be rock solid on your word, just delivering the word to these people, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for, for him and Lizzie, and um, Father, just the blessing that they've been to us all. I pray protection over him, especially now with a big bullseye on his back. Father, I pray that you will uh, surround him with your angels, Lord. Um, again, Lord, filling him so much with your spirit, Lord, that um, he will just be a light to all, um, that the enemy will flee uh, before him, Father. And I pray uh, just that you'll give him strength, uh, give him peace, and give him courage, Lord, because we know that um, the time of discouragement comes, Father, that he will prevail, um, resting on your word, Father. And uh, again, we want to thank you for Matt, and um, we pray this in the mighty, precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, Matthew Thomas Messiano, this ordination is based upon the authority given by Jesus Christ as the head of the church and the recommendation of the lead pastor and the board of directors of Calvary Port of St. Lucie, which had full and sufficient opportunity to prayerfully consider your gifts, calling from God, and examine your character, maturity, and Bible doctrine. This ordination is hereby granted according to the word of God and the bylaws of this ministry on the 21st day of January of 2018. You are hereby ordained. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. So you guys have another pastor. So praise God for that. We're happy about that. So if you're here today and you need prayer, what we're going to do is I'm going to close in prayer. Everybody will be making their way out. Um, don't forget to register for Group Connect out in the foyer. Um, but those of you who need prayer, I'm gonna have, we're going to have prayer counselors on either side. And they would love to pray for you confidentially and minister to you. So don't leave with a big burden on your heart and mind. Uh, come and get that prayer. Uh, there's gonna be a couple elders that are gonna be in the middle section. Okay, so if you're here today and you wanna start a relationship with Jesus, you're just not really sure about whether you had that relationship with Jesus or not. We'll have elders in the middle. So everyone's leaving. You just come up um, five minutes or so. They're, they're gonna share with you how you can know for sure this is important, that Jesus is your savior and heaven is your home. And so that, that's really important for those of you who are not sure about that, okay? So we're gonna all stand at this, po at this point. Uh, prayer partners and elders come forward. It's been a good day, a great weekend in the Lord. And I wanna pray for you guys. And so Father, I'm so grateful for this church body, this flock that you've drawn together here in poor St. Lucie, Florida. Thank you, Lord, for these people who obviously uh, have a desire to follow you. Otherwise, they would be far from this place. And Lord, I'm asking that as they seek you this week, that you would reveal yourself to them in a very powerful way. Lord, show them your power, that your power is greater than Satan. Your power is greater than sin. Your power is greater than um, even sickness. And Lord, that uh, it's your will uh, to forgive and your will to love and to um, uh, restore. And so, Lord, I'm asking God that for many, many people at Calvary that um, they would walk in that close relationship, God, with you. 
Father, we thank you for Matt. We thank you for what you've done in four years, turning a prodigal into a pastor. And Lord, you get all the glory for that. We honor you, Lord. And Jesus, we ask all these things in your mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Love you guys. See you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.